You're listening to a Sin podcast. You can listen to this show live by tuning your radio to 90.7 or online at sin.org.au. You're back to represent on Sin. We at Represent would like to acknowledge and pay our respects to the traditional owners of the land on which Sin operates, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Sin Media respectfully acknowledges their ancestors and elders, past, present and emerging. We would also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians and their ancestors of the lands and waters across Australia where our content reaches. Sovereignty has never been ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Kids should go to school. That's what we're committed to. I haven't flip-flopped. I said no originally, then I said yes, then I have said no and I've stuck to it. I didn't need to do this. I've already done a lot of war for the election. The English fought a civil war over this this matter. Don't deal with the nuance of the Canberra bubble. I don't know what to do with it. We have so much money. What we want is more learning in schools and less activism in schools. Issues that perhaps may be controversial today, but 30 years from now, your children, your grandchildren are going to be thankful that you stood up for what it was right. Represent. 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 You're listening to Represent. You're listening to Represent. Hello, Bridie. Hi, Mimi. <laughs> um, George is joining us today, but he's, he's, running late. he's running a bit late. But we've got some awesome stuff coming up. I've got an interview with Peter Murphy. She's a Labour candidate for Dunkley. And I'm also going to be giving a little rundown on our final election debate before next Saturday. Oh, my God. I know. <laughs> and, Bridie, what are you going to talk about today? I'm going to talk about... Basically, how climate is a non-issue in the election if you ask the parties. But if you ask everyone else and the scientists, they would say, actually, it is the issue. It is the issue. Have you seen the flooding again Exactly. It's the sixth time since December. It's almost Spoiler the same alert. amount of times that I've been sick this year. <laughs> <laughs> um... So we'll get straight into that. We're going to put on a song for you guys. Um, we'll just give, you know, just to give George like three more minutes to turn minutes. up <laughs> so that we can start. Um, and then after that, perhaps we'll go... Should we go into your segment, Brady? Sounds good. George is here with us now. Say hi, George. Hey, Glad to be here. Sorry I'm late. It was just waiting for some Liberal Labour parties to get back to our media team. But... Did they get back to you? No, it's a joke. I'm just saying oh. how long it takes for them to get oh, back to us. Oh, okay, sorry. It's emblematic of that. Didn't, crowd. Didn't yeah, pick up crowd on that here. one. <laughs> um, okay, I'll hand it over to you, Brad. You can take us away. All right, so we're going to talk about climate change, which is always a bit uplifting, but that's all right. Um, so there's been another Great Barrier Reef report, basically, that has said that 91% of the reefs that were surveyed have been bleached this year. Um, which is the first time that this has ever happened in a La Nina year, which is supposed to be cooler and wetter. However, it obviously is not quite working out for the Great Barrier Reef. Queensland is flooding again. It's, like we said, it's the sixth time since December. The Wyvernhoe Dam, which is Brisbane's main dam, is currently at 110%. Personally, I don't really understand why how they can go over 100% capacity, but I saw that Anastasia Palaszczuk said that they can go up to 180. <laughs> I was like, 
Marxism. Doesn't Weird, that counteract right? mathematics? Yeah, exactly. But on the campaign trail, no one wants to talk about the climate. So the policies that the parties are taking to the election are the coalition policy is net zero by 2050 with a target of 26 to 28% by reductions by 2030. But they think we'll get to more than that. They think we'll get to like 30 or 35% by 2030. Um, Labor's policy is a 43% reduction by 2030 and net zero by 2050. So very, very similar to the coalition. And the Greens want net zero by 2035, which is obviously considerably sooner than the others. Um, and they want to phase out coal and gas entirely, which they would fund by taxing big corporations. So in the last couple of days, Labor's pledged quite a lot of different environmental strategies and programs. So like a threatened species program with $224 million in the bank for it, um, a national conservation strategy, whatever that means, and $194 million for the Great Barrier Reef, which has had its sixth sixth mass bleaching event and, like I said, the first time that it's ever happened in a La Nina. So Dr David Wachenfeld, who was an author of the report, um, said that bleaching was not expected in a La Nina year generally. However, the reef is currently 1.5 degrees warmer than it was 150 years ago and he said, nothing surprises me anymore. And this climate issue also obviously ties into inequality and like social inequality. So, for example, in Sydney, the west of Sydney is generally um, 10 degrees hotter than the east in the height of summer. And I read an article in the conversation this morning that said it may ultimately become uninhabitable for months at a time, um, which is just crazy to think of. It's home to 2.5 million people and the majority of the city's social housing. So it's very much an unequal situation. So what I'm going to ask you guys is would a Labor Greens coalition or like arrangement deal in Parliament mean that Labor is forced to take more drastic climate action, do you think? Um, yeah, I, th I think especially um, if they do get that balance of power, the Greens like uh, definitely going to go to all their powers to advance like the climate change um, needs and all the warrants it has. Um, I was speaking to Rob Humphreys the other week and he was just mentioning how... Um, Basically, if they get one more person in the House of Representatives, they're able to actually put a bill forward um, in the in government, whereas they can't actually right now until we have a certain amount of people in the House of Representatives. So, bearing that in mind, like the more power that they get, the more they'll be able to do over time. So, bearing that in mind, when there was the Julie Gillard government, when they had a coalition with the Greens, they were able to enact things like the carbon tax and various other um, legislature to promote climate change. So I think that would definitely be something that the Greens would look to advance. Yeah, I pretty much agree. <laughs> I don't really have anything else to say. All right, well, my next question is, like, is it actually enough for Labor to promise to establish these programs about preventing extinction of species and conserving the environment when they're still saying net zero by 2050? Like, which is kind of a catastrophic, like puts us on a catastrophic path to climate destruction. You know, don't they kind of just contradict each other? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously like not enough. And I think it kind of is just 
I mean, I don't know. Is it false promises? I don't know. Well, I wonder if they're going to, like, if they win. Will they actually do it kind of thing? Well, kind of the opposite. Like, if they win, wouldn't you be just like, hmm, what will I do? I'll just do more than what I said. I mean, like, obviously that's kind of risky. But I feel like if I was... This is not making sense. But if I was like Albo and I win the election... Well, and like, Brady did get future prime yeah. minister at her <laughs> formal last week, so she probably will be. Yeah, we'll the see. future Albanese. Yeah. So if I was him and I won the election, and I was like, actually, I think that we need more climate action than whatever we said we'd do, and so I just would do more. You know, do you think that's yeah. possible? But I don't know if he actually cares. Yeah. Like if true. it's if it's something he cares about, then yeah, I agree. But I don't know I if don't he's just like saying, yeah, I don't really think it's his thing. I think that it's kind of strange that Albanese and the Labor Party haven't taken a further stance on climate change. Obviously, mm-hmm. they they've taken the stance through this their campaign that they're going to go for like the moderates a bit more. But you know, politicians lie, and <laughs> like campaigns are fil- well, yeah, but campaigns are filled of like you know promises that you know, don't necessarily, like, aren't always fulfilled. So I don't see why, like, from the Labor Party perspective, why they don't actually, well, why there hasn't been an actual campaign strategy to go to, like, a 2040 target or something of net zero. Like, we know they're not going to do it anyway. Just say that you're (laughs) going to and you might actually work out. You might actually get a couple of those young voters that are pretty disenfranchised with the Labor Party. You can't do that. You could. (laughs) Anyone can do it. You can't morally. Yes, you can. Well, that's an issue in politics. Yeah, you shouldn't be (laughs) able to. But pork barreling and whatnot, like (laughs) everything, campaign, yeah, sports rorts. Like you can make as many empty promises as you want. There's no, no one's holding you to accounts. Just. Say, go for twenty twenty four net zero if you really want to. <laughs> twenty twenty three, right? Well, I hope that people aren't just making empty promises here. And well, there. welcome to reality. <laughs> <laughs> All right then. Okay, we'll wrap that up. Coming up now is an interview I did with Peter Murphy. She's the Labor candidate for the Dunkley electorate. You're listening to Represent on Sim. Joining me today is Peter Murphy, the sitting member for the federal seat of Dunkley. It's a pleasure to have you on the show, Peter. Would you like to start off by telling us about your work as a Labor MP for Dunkley and a bit about yourself in general? Thank you very much, Mimi. Thank you for having me on your show and thank you for having this show and for interviewing people for the federal election. You know, a lot of people talk about the fact that they never hear from politicians or they don't know if politicians are real people or not Um, and what you're doing is giving your listeners an opportunity to hear from us and also giving people like me an opportunity to speak to young people. So it's really important what you're doing and I'm really pleased that you're doing it. So as you just introduced me, I am the federal member for Dunkley, which if people don't know is in southeast Melbourne. It's mainly the area of Frankston City Council boundaries. So um, Frankston on the beach, Seaford, Carrumdown, Sky, uh, Sandhurst, Langwarren, um, Frankston, Frankston South, and then Mount Eliza, which is partly in the Mornington Peninsula Shire. So it's a beautiful part of the world. Um, I am the first Labor person to hold this seat for 23 years. Uh, and my job as the MP has been pretty interesting over the last three years with COVID. Um, I think one of the most important things I've had to do is try to help to keep the community connected at a time when often we were stuck in our home for 
every day except for an hour a day um, and social media could become either quite toxic or a really good way of keeping people connected. Um, so a lot of my work, I did things like interview, you know, local headspace, uh, local um, job service providers for young people, local footy clubs and basketball and netball clubs about how they were getting through lockdown, how they were helping other people get through lockdown, what services were available. So that, and I held thing, Facebook Live community um, question times and forums where people could talk about the things that were important to them. And then what I did is take all of that to Canberra. So when we were debating, you know, things like whether there should be a wage subsidy which turned into JobKeeper, um, whether it should look after casual workers or not, because a lot of young people are casual workers, uh, what happens with Centrelink and the NDIS, um, Better NBN, all those sorts of things. Um, I take the stories and the lives of people that I represent to Canberra and say, well, this is why we have a certain view in my electorate, for example. You know, there were 280 or something like that um, people, mostly young, some a bit older, who worked casually at the local aquatic centre who lost their jobs because JobKeeper didn't cover them. So one of the important things I tried to do was try to persuade the federal government to change that to look after these young people during COVID. Um, so that's a bit of my work. Uh, as for me, um, I've lived down here for over a decade. My husband born and bred down here and um, I came down here with him. Um, I grew up in country New South Wales. My parents were public school teachers and educators. So I'm a public school girl where sport um, and community were really important. I'm the eldest of three girls. So we did a lot of talking about women being leaders and being able to be tough and strong and brave as well as, you know, wearing a, a skirt and putting on makeup um, when you wanted to. And I grew up in a time that you've only read about in books, Mimi, um, but the federal government was uh, Bob Hawke and Paul Keating um, were the two prime ministers that I looked up to who had big visions for the country. So I always got told that um, politics was actually about government and good government, not about individuals getting power. So that's the attitude I've always brought to everything I did. And I've done a bunch of different jobs from cleaning to um, coaching gymnastics and being um, an educator. But I spent the la before I was in parliament about a decade and a half in the criminal justice system. I was a senior public defender at Legal Aid. So I spent most of my time as a lawyer um, working with some of the most disadvantaged people facing difficult and damaging situations. Um, so I think I know a little bit about how hard some people's lives are. It's so great to hear how much effort you've put into the young people and policies as well regarding that. So you kind of already, I guess, answered one of my first questions. Um, you talk about how you've done, you've done some stuff around sport and um, you've upgraded the Frankston Basketball Stadium and the Emil Madsen Reserve. Um, and you talk about casual jobs. Um, can you name some of the other policies and what Labor's doing more broadly that would appeal to younger voters and our younger audience? Yeah, I'm very happy to. I've got to slightly correct you about basketball and Emil Madsen Reserve. We want to upgrade them. Um, and I've been asking the Morrison government for money to upgrade them for three years and they wouldn't give us the money for it. So I've made an election commitment to do it. Now the Morrison government says they want to do it, which is funny, right? Because there's an election on, things seem to change. But I mean, I, I 
that sort of stuff about sports facilities is really important because it's often where people, particularly young people, have their most connections and their sense of community. And particularly sometimes if life is hard in your family or school, it's your sporting club that provides you with that sense of belonging. So I think they're really important. I think from what I've heard going to all of the schools in the electorate many times um, and having uh, people come out the front of my office with a student strike for climate, for example, and going to the one in the city a few years ago, that one of the most important issues to young people is climate change. Um, one of the things that young people really want to see is that people like me who are a bit older understand that climate change is real, that we as um, leaders have to do something about it and also that we see it as not just the crisis that it is but an opportunity as well for secure, well-paid, interesting jobs. So I think that one of Labor's policies that I know locally young people are really interested in and I think more broadly are interested in is our policy on climate change, you know, legislating net zero by 2050, not just saying we'll do it but actually legislating it. 43% reduction of emissions by 2030, 85% of the energy grid being renewable energy, and really importantly, investing in things like um, apprenticeships in renewable energy, investing in fee-free TAFE and university courses um, that are about skill shortages but are about helping young people to get the skills and education and training they need so that we can become a renewable energy superpower in this country and we can invest in manufacturing and all the things that go around renewable energy, which are really smart, interesting jobs that bring down emissions and also give people um, a really positive work life to contribute to the economy. Yeah, it's really great. I think exactly what young people want to see, that connection between climate change and how we're going to get a job. Let's link that back to, so you talk about um, housing affordability and security on your website. Yep. Can you explain Labor's Housing Australia Future Fund and how it will also benefit young people? I can, thank you for asking. So, I mean, I don't have to tell you, it's uh, being able to afford a house, but also being able to afford to rent a house uh, is really getting harder and harder. And in my community, rent's a real problem. It's going up and it's taking away most people's incomes. So what I want to do federally is um, have a, it's called a housing future fund. So have an investment of money that is used to then build social and affordable housing. So some of what we normally think of as public housing, um, but also housing that um, might cost a little bit, but is more affordable. And what we want to do is have 30,000 new dwellings, um, at least 10,000 which are affordable homes. So people who want to be frontline workers, so nurses, ambulance officers, you know, cleaners who need to work close to where they work, sorry, live close to where they work but often can't afford to, can have somewhere that's affordable to live. We want to have housing um, that is put aside for particularly women and their children who are fleeing domestic violence because it's a really um, difficult time to find accommodation when there's um, a marriage breakdown, particularly domestic violence and more housing um, for people who just their income means that they can't afford to save money um, to get a mortgage. So we've got that housing um, futures fund and that would apply for the whole country um, and for people regardless of their age. We've got another policy which is help to buy, which is where uh, if you can't save up the entire mortgage, if you've got 2% 
of what you need um, as a deposit for a mortgage, the government would then put up about 40% um, so that you could get the mortgage and then you would over time be paying off your mortgage and also paying off what the government put up to help you get the house. So they're not the only answers. There's a lot more things that need to be done, but I think there are a couple of good things that a federal government can do um, to try to help people get into homes. Um, what are some of the ways that like this could be applied to Dunkley specifically? So like um, the job security, housing, how are you going to make sure there's a better life for families? That's a really good question. Um, some of these things have to happen nationally and then they apply everywhere. So for example, um, changing the definition of casual in the Fair Work Act, which is the law that regulates um, work in this country, so that your boss can't just say to you, no, no, you're not a permanent worker, you're a casual worker, so you don't get sick leave, you don't get um, holiday pay, you don't get some of your other entitlements, saying, well, actually, if you are working in every way, shape and form that looks like you're working permanently, then you should be entitled to these sorts of things like sick pay and holiday pay and making that clear in the Fair Work Act. Um, another thing that's really important to young people more and more who are working in the gig economy, so becoming Uber drivers or sometimes even working in cleaning or security through a, an app or labour hire is to say, well, again, just because you're not um, directly employed by the place you're going to work doesn't mean that you shouldn't get paid the same people who are as people who are directly employed. And it doesn't mean you shouldn't get the minimum wage at least um, and change the law to make sure that happens. So if that happens nationally, that will be really good locally. One of the other things we can do locally is invest in, we've got a TAFE, we've got a university, and we've got a really great um, industrial precinct with some really good local manufacturers. So if we can invest in helping um, the local manufacturers to be able to take on more people who are also getting apprenticeships or training at TAFE, um, help more placements for people at university and help the local manufacturers to be smart, renewable, good manufacturers, then it becomes a, a cycle where people locally can get a good education and also get a good job. Um, and I think that's really important. So federal labor's got a policy for 20,000 more university places and um, be free TAFE in areas where school shortages are. So if you can believe this, in Australia, we don't have enough people who are trained to be welders and plumbers. And lots of the businesses locally really need welders and plumbers. So a really great idea is to say, well, you can get fee-free courses at TAFE and more apprenticeships to help you become a builder and a plumber. Helps the local business, helps locals get jobs. Thanks, Peter. I have one more question. So in 2019, you won this seat for Labor, as you said at the beginning, and it was for the first time that Labor won the seat since 1993. Success for political parties in winning this seat is often determined by electoral boundaries. How confident are you that you will win this seat again this election? Well, you're never really confident until Anthony Green calls it on the ABC on election night. It feels pretty positive. So the electoral boundary helped a little bit in 2019, but it made it notionally a 1% Labor seat. And I won with 2.7% margin. So, you know, we got extra votes on top of the redistribution. Um, and what I feel like is happening and I hope happens is that um, people look at two things. One is how hard I've worked as their local member for three years and and everything I've done that we've talked about during the pandemic and in Canberra. Um, and then they also look at the really positive policies that I've got and that Labor's got for the future. Um, and they decide to back me in so I can keep doing that. I also think, Mimi, 
and again, you and your listeners know this um, better than I do, but I, I think people are really sick of um, politicians who promise the world and don't deliver, of really bullying, macho, arguing sort of behaviour, um, of scandals uh, that are both about sexual harassment but also things that look a bit fraudulent and corrupt and nothing happening. So um, hopefully people will look at how I've conducted myself over three years and see that I've tried to be positive and I work with other people. You know, I set up the Parliamentary Friends of Women's Health with a Liberal Member of Parliament so we could do it together. Um, but I've also held the Morrison government to account for things like not having an integrity commission um, and not standing up for gender equality, LGBTIQ plus rights, um, people with disability, you know, people who need us to say, we've got your back. So that's what I'm hoping people will see, that I'm someone who does that. That's great. So thanks so much for joining me. It was really lovely to listen to you and to hear that you care about um, people our age. And as you said, yeah, all those minority groups, it's really important to a lot of our listeners. So I really thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. And to you and all your listeners, this is a, every election is important, but this is a really important election. So no matter how you vote, make sure firstly you vote. And secondly, make sure you think about it, you know, so that um, when you're casting your vote, which is something that a lot of people around the world don't get to do, um, you know that you're voting for either a person or a party that has the sort of values and the policies that you think are important. Um, because they're actually, the, the direction of the country is set by the government. So make sure your voice is heard because young people, we're doing this for you and your future. You're back on Represent. That was my interview with Peter. I hope everyone thoroughly enjoyed it. Are we having audio issues? George is looking at me concerned. I think we're good. I think we're okay. Yeah, okay. no, we're good for now. All right. All right, so let's go... Sorry, I just moved my arm and I've recently found out that I've fractured it, so that hurt. <laughs> Let's go into... Story time? St- no, no story time. I, well, partial story time. I fell off the back. Okay, let's go into Wednesday night. Wednesday night was the final election debate before we all go to vote on the polls on Saturday, next Saturday, Saturday week. Um, it wasn't as dramatic or unruly, as you could say, compared to last time. It was like a lot more tame. There weren't any, like, low blows or talking over each other. Well moderated, I thought. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Although I did really hate the sound effects Channel 7 were putting on. Sound the- effects? Just, I think, are a bit of a turn-off. They, they sounded like a My Kitchen Rules kind of <laughs> drama. Like, you know when they did the count, like, when they had to, their one minute was over, they put that really annoying, non-diegetic sound on? That was just my gripe of the night. I'm like... Yeah, that was so it's not It's not a drama piece. Commercial TV. Yeah, yeah like, commercial TV, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, moving on from that. Um, <laughs> topics that were spoken about include the cost of living, wages, the Anti-Corruption Commission, climate change and childcare. So I think we kind of finally saw some things that like we've been wanting to talk about for a while that I think like actually directly affect... Australians like we've wanted to know about wages, we wanted to know about cost of living. So I think they like finally decided that they were gonna address those things. Um, 
In terms of who won, uh, 50% favoured Albanese, 34% favoured Morrison, and 16% were still undecided. Bless you, Bridie. Thanks, Mary. <laughs> um, so talks on the Anti-Corruption Commission stemmed from Mr Morrison's announcement that Education Minister Alan Tudge will return to his role if the co- coalition is re-elected, and... Tudge had to stand aside at the end of 2021 following accusations that he had been emotionally and physically abusive towards one of his former staffers, Rachel Miller, whom he had an affair with. Um, And so back in 2021, Morrison initiated an inquiry into this matter. But this kind of brings into play this this anti-corruption commission because should Mr Morrison himself be, like, submitting his own inquiries... I mean, probably not. It's kind of a conflict of interest. And, kind of. <laughs> and, um, and, like, Miss... Um, and after this inquiry, Miss Miller... Like, it was decided that Miss Miller will receive a taxpayer-funded settlement worth more than $500,000. And obviously that's taxpayer money, so people kind of want to know why they're giving that to her. I mean, obviously it's kind of implied, but, like, under what kind of, like, rule, I guess. Um... So, the moderator, as George pointed out, Mark Riley pointed out, isn't the point here all, here all this that we need an independent integrity commission to deal with these matters and take them out of the hands of politicians? Which I think, like, Mr. Morrison made a perfect segue to, like, ask that question. You mean Mr. Riley? No, well, no, but, like, by talking about Alan oh, Touch, like, yeah, he yeah, made yeah. it really easy for someone to ask him a question like that. Like, yeah. that was kind of... I mean, that was kind of silly. Um, of course, Mr. Morrison agreed with um, Riley, um, and he said that if he were re-elected, he would bring a bill into Parliament this year. But, I mean, we'll see. Um, wage increase was another hot topic. Previously, Mr. Albanese had stated he would back a 5.1% increase to the minimum wage. Um, and I quote the ABC when he says, but at the debate, he clarified that he wouldn't actually actively seek out this increase, um, but he would welcome it if the decision was made by the Fair Work Commission. So he's kind of, like, gone back on what he's said before. And Mr Morrison responded by saying that this could potentially hurt small businesses. He states that they won't be worried about wages if this happens. They'll be worried about having a job. Um, And then the last kind of topic that was... I guess talked about a lot was childcare. So after the pandemic started, childcare was like made free, um, but now they're like coming back on this and putting a price back on it. And um, Albanese's promise is that ninety six percent of families will have better benefits. Um, so I guess more. Um, what's the word like compensation? Like a when you deduct a cost from something. What's that called? When you go like to go to the doctors and a rebate. A like rebate. A rebate. A rebate. Yeah. Um so they'll have like a better rebate than they do now. But weirdly enough, <laughs> Scott Morrison took this as an opportunity to point out that while he's been while they've been um in government, the gender pay gap has fallen and more females have joined the workforce. Girl boss moment. Girl boss moment, <laughs> but I don't see how it has anything to do with childcare. Like, can someone explain that to me? I think Scott Morrison, to his credit, he structures out all these answers and he goes straight to his strongest talking points. Um, 
he revolves his answers around the question, not the question around his answers. So he'll be talking about... I don't know if I had that the wrong way around. <laughs> you know what I'm trying I, to say? Like, he could be talking about climate change and somehow make it about the economy. He definitely, like, makes his answers fit towards his narratives over time. So that doesn't really surprise me when he brings up, you know, the... Mm, he's a master mm. manipulator. Oh, it's a, it's a fair enough, like, debating strength. Like, you know, he's Yeah, probably... well, if you call it a debate, if you're not really answering the question at all, I mean, it's just kind of... Your, gone off on a little tangent about what he wants to talk about. Yeah, but at the same time, when you're in a debate, it's like, you're not really too focused on the questions, I think. If you're hearing something that's resonating with you, you don't really care about what the previous question was. I don't know, maybe that's just me. Yeah. I see where you're coming that's, from. I, yeah, I don't... I just like that that doesn't make you a very good debater. No. Like, surely yeah. you listen to the question. You, you might not be a good debater, but, but it comes off as your... But they're not getting on debating yeah. skills. It, it comes off as if you're giving a strong answer rather than fumble around and but it's a so weak annoying. topic. It is annoying. Regardless, I think uh, maybe we should move on from that. Okay, the last point. This last thing is is kind of cute. It had me like going. This is kind of sweet. So at the end of the debate, um, Morrison and Albanese were asked to point out one trait <laughs> that they admired but also feared amongst each other, which I think is like. A really interesting question. I thought it was really yeah. cute. Um, I think maybe at the end of the show we should ask each other oh, that's what's one idea. quality that we admire and fear in each other. <laughs> so Mr. Morrison's answer for Albanese. So this is what Scott Morrison thinks about Albanese. Something he admires about Albanese is that he will never forget where he has come from. Which yep. is questionable. It's an oh, interesting I... way to phrase it. It's... I think it's so backhanded. Like, it's sweet, yeah, but it's I so can see backhanded. What you mean from that point. Like, yeah. I don't think he actually meant that, though. I know I can't, I'm well. really sounding like a Scott Morrison like defender right now, but I think he actually did mean it from the perspective where he went through a lot and he's yeah. know, rise to. I'm out the other side. I mean, yeah, I think exactly. it's like a good thing, but I also think, like, you could just comment on his skill set instead. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like it's like, oh, like. What you've done is only so good because you've come so far. Yeah, but at the I feel same like time, it's more concrete than um, what Albanese said. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Albanese was not. Yeah, <laughs> he didn't really mean it when he, he he didn't want to. He wanted. He didn't want to give any policy or anything like anything that. He just wanted nice. to say yeah. But but with that on Albanese, like yeah, sure, it's it's kind of backhanded. But Albanese brings that up every two minutes you talk to him that he. You know, was I think brought it's up important. And, you know, it, it's important, yeah, but like, I'm just saying, like, forms a lot of his opinions. Yeah, opinions. yeah, correct. But you know, if you can't dish it out, don't. Yeah, can't, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. All right. Well, my question was, what do you guys think of that? And you kind of answered it already. Yeah. Should we go and do our quotes now, like our little what we fear in mind now, or should we go into a song? And Let's then... do a song. Okay, a song we'll first. do a song first. Okay, guys, we're going to do a song, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to tell each other what we admire <laughs> slash fear about each other. <laughs> and we're back. I'm handing over to George. Um, yeah, just quickly to... I've gone a bit over time today, so I'll just quickly ram in one of the talking points that I had. Um, I just wanted to mention the fact that um, in terms of minor parties around Australia, especially One Nation, have obviously been prevalent over the last, I guess, three decades or something, or two decades. No, two decades. Um, basically, there's been a bit of 
sympathies thrown around from the Liberal Party after they have previously always disenfranchised them. Um, basically, and also the Nationals as well. Um, so Barnaby Joyce um, basically mentioned that one nation is not the party that they were 10 to 15 years ago, basically implying that, yeah, like they're trying to compromise with one nation and they are willing to not outcast them like so many other parties have over time. Um, so I just thought that was kind of interesting to see that the, he actually put them second on the on the how to vote card. Um, so I don't think that's something that's been we're exactly accustomed to and it's kind of showing that they're willing to oblige, you know, a lot of anti-immigration sentiments in the name of gaining votes, um, especially after how they've been in the Senate recently with all the scandals that Pauline Hanson has had over the years. Scandals. Well, that's one way of putting it. And I don't really think there's a lot of merit to what Barnaby Joyce has said, considering that it was only a few years ago that Pauline Hanson went into the Senate with Burke on. But regardless, let's go on to a lighter topic. Um, Mimi, do you want to take off what we were saying before? Okay, so just like they did in the election debate on Wednesday, we're going to go around and say one thing that we admire about each other, but that thing also kind of scares us. Oh, so it's one thing. Yeah, but what I was trying to explain Uh, was like, do you want to say one thing about me and Bridie, or are we just going to go in a circle? Let's go in a circle. Okay. Um, so I'll go first. I'm pull the I'll go first. I'll do maybe. Um, one thing that I admire is that you're very, you have like a very enthusiastic lease on life and it scares me because now you've broken your arm because of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good take. It's like, what could she do next? Who that knows? That's a really good one. Okay. What I l- admire about George is that I feel like you have like a lot of commitments but you always get them done but what scares me about that is then it makes me feel like I need to like keep up with you (laughs) (laughs) so basically this is like a you thing really (laughs) (laughs) but it's like what I fear about it that's what fears me about it what I fear about it George is that you're gonna get burnt out oh yeah Good save. Yeah, good, good deflection, save. Minnie. That's, okay. You're doing fine. We're, we're, we share the load equally. I know, but you just I always just feel at like work. Your interviews You're running stuff. around. You're doing like, it in bed. Am I allowed to say uh, that? Maybe. Bright. It doesn't matter that much. <laughs> it's that's, fine. That's maybe not happening, guys. Yeah, yeah. maybe not. Yeah, we, we'll... Low expectations. Yeah, there are yeah. Um, things yeah. that may or may not be happening. Yeah. yeah, but you're just running around like a headless chook. Mm. So I'm <laughs> Thanks, like, how Mimi. does he get everything done with no head? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Mimi. <laughs> okay, and Bridey, I think that positive, you're young, which is... No, let me explain. Let me explain. question on the census. No, like... okay, it's a comment that you're young, but, like, you're a good young person. Like, but it's also scary. Well, that's that. reassuring. Okay, let me explain. So, you're Is obviously... Is this about to turn personal too? You can say me. <laughs> You're going to reflect get back twist. to how you felt oh, when you were young? When I was young. No, well... You are was... both, like... You're, like, 20-something. I don't even know. I'm 20. But, like, a few years older than you. The point is that, like... You're so knowledgeable when it in a time where a lot of seventeen year olds like they might be politically inclined, but they don't actually know a lot about politics, and you know a lot more than Mimi and I on some things as well. So, mad props to Bridie, but at the same time, it's scary that our 
self-proclaimed future prime minister. I didn't proclaim it. <laughs> well, everyone else in my year level we, apparently did. Mimi and I didn't see it, so maybe you're just telling us that. I didn't. I send. But I'm scared of your off. power, is what I'm saying. Ah, thanks. Yeah. So I've always got to be on your good side. You've been listening to a Sin Media podcast, where young people run the show. <laughs>